Well, good morning, church. I want to welcome you to Willingdon uh, this morning. Uh, you can open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be wrapping up the 1 Peter uh, series, uh, part A, before Christmas, and we'll continue after Christmas again. One piece of great news I want to pass on. Uh, we've had the annual women's Christmas tea, Thursday night, Friday night, and I just got a note from some leaders there. Uh, 23 ladies uh, indicated that they wanted to make Jesus uh, the Lord of their lives. Uh, so we're very excited about that. Yeah. And then there are a bunch of others who recommitted themselves or want more information. And, and so we just want to uh, pray for them as they continue to walk uh, in this journey. Uh, let's pray before we jump into the word this morning. Father, thank you that you speak into our hearts through your spirit, by your word. And I know this morning everyone here is here, is here because you want them here. Uh, your spirit draws us and that's why we are here. And so I know that means you have something to say to us uh, through your, again, through your spirit and through your word. And I pray uh, that we will be attentive to what it is that you have to say to us today and how you want to transform us increasingly into your likeness. Thank you that you speak to us. And uh, I look forward to seeing what you will do in us and through us today and in this coming week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So when I was a kid, one of the things my dad and I loved to do uh, is on our little black and white TV in Winnipeg, we would watch all-star wrestling. I know, I'm true confession. And uh, we watched guys like Gene Kaniski and uh, all these other characters that now would be the most politically incorrect characters in the world. It was every stereotype you could ever think of, right, as a wrestling character. And uh, we would just laugh and laugh and laugh watching this. We knew it was fake. I found out later on that everyone else did. I actually went to one of the events at the Winnipeg Arena. A lot of people were really serious there. It was a little crazy. One of the things that always happens in wrestling is you try and put a submission hold on the other person. So there was the, uh, someone reminded me this morning, there was the figure four leg lock. Uh, there was the sleeper. There was the claw. Uh, I know some of you are thinking I'm nuts. I can see that already. <laughs> I don't watch wrestling anymore, just so you know. But back then, it just was like silly fun. It wasn't the soap opera it is today. And we just, we just had a great time watching this uh, on our little black and white TV in the late 60s and early 70s. And, uh, but one of the things you'll notice is they were called submission holds. You were trying to, get, to have victory over your, your opponent. When I was a little kid, we would go and imitate the wrestlers in the front yard, you know, a bunch of 10-year-old boys. And back then, I don't know where this comes from, but we would say, as we had someone in some kind of hold, we would say, say uncle. And if they said uncle, that means that, that they lost. So I don't know where it comes from, but that was the thing. Say uncle. That was a submission hold. There is no context in our current world where a submission hold or submission is seen in a positive light. Right? If you look it up, dictionary.com, you'll get this. The action or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. They were forced into submission. That's how we think about it. Now, let me introduce today's text. From the New International Version, 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. The uh, Pew Bible you have before you, likewise, wives, 
be subject to your own husbands. Could it be any clearer than that? Okay, we're done. You can go home now. (laughs) Just kidding. So I've heard lots of responses to to that text over the years. You know, one was finally a clear word from scripture. This will fix my home. Or that's what's wrong with the church. It's, it's verses like that that's wrong with the church. Or Peter, the author, was just an insecure middle-aged male who felt threatened by his wife. <laughs> it's none of those, just so you know. So hang in there with me, and I think actually the word that the Lord has for us today will help us understand relationships I think will actually help us understand our role as the people of God. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower, this text is written specifically to Christ followers in the first century in a Greco-Roman context. And that's incredibly important. In the first century, if they were in a church service like this and Peter would happen to be there and he would say, wives, submit to your husbands. You know what the whole audience would say, both men and women? Tell me something I don't know. They would say, of course, we all know that. Why would they say that? Because in the first century, in the Greco-Roman world, men were to be the head of the household. Not only were they the head of the household, slaves, women, and children had no standing whatsoever. They were, were especially women and and slaves, they were owned property, is what they were. In fact, they had a legal word for it, patria potestas, the father's power. That gave the father power over women, over their daughters particularly, uh, and it was even the power of life and death. And then when they got married, that authority, that power got handed over to the husband. That's the context that Peter is writing into. She was entirely subject to her husband, completely at his mercy. So we're going to make our way through the first seven verses of 1 Peter chapter 3. The first six are focused on women. The seventh is focused on men. Verse 1 and verse 7 to to women, to men, begins with the the same word, likewise. Well, likewise what? Likewise, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. This is what it's referring to. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, which the right translation would be everyone. Uh, That's what the word brotherhood means here. Fear God, honor the emperor. So if you've been here for the last few weeks, you've heard Pastor Ray saying, what do you live, how does a Christ follower live within a context in a difficult uh, socio-political scenario where just being a Christ follower is a difficult thing, the government is not favorable to you, and at the same time, as this verse says, be subject to the emperor, and so Pastor Ray has unpacked that for the last few weeks. Today, the context moves to marriage particularly the marriage of a Christ-following woman and an unchristian or non-believing husband. That's the context here. And Peter is saying, first of all, he says, likewise. Likewise, what? Honor everyone. When he says honor everyone, we read that and we say, well, that's a good thing to do. In that context, you say, wait a minute. Men honor men. They do not honor slaves and women. So the very fact that Peter says honor everyone 
is a countercultural word. Completely countercultural. So at the very beginning, when he says likewise, honor everyone, he's setting up the context. The Apostle Paul does the same thing. Book of Ephesians, chapter 5, known as the marriage text there. And so many Bibles actually start the marriage section in the wrong verse. They start in verse 22. It should start in verse 21. 22 says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Sounds clear. Unless you read verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the context. Mutual submission. Great marriages are based on mutual honor and the fear of God. Great marriages are based on mutual honor and the fear of God. Right? Verse 17, chapter 2, 1 Peter says, Fear God. Not be afraid of God. Revere God. Honor God. Not be scared of God. He is holy. He sent his son to die for you. And because of his son's death and resurrection, you can have new life as we just celebrated through the communion table. See, Peter is writing to help the church to understand how to live out their faith as members of this Greco-Roman society that is built upon the foundation of male leadership, males honoring males, women and wives or women and slaves having no standing whatsoever. That is the context and, control, and the reason they did that is they wanted control of the home because even in their religious philosophy and in their moral philosophy, they believed the home was what created stability for all of society. And so they, that was their construct. That's why they built things this way. That's why they looked at them this way. So when Peter begins by saying, honor everyone, they're going, wait a minute. That's not what I heard growing up. That's not what I was taught. But Peter's trying to teach Christ followers to understand a kingdom ethic. He's trying to understand, get them to understand how Jesus works in our lives and in this world. He's trying to get them to understand how God sees all people. Peter is teaching the church that that the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom that impacts all areas of life. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. So Jesus, when he taught the Beatitudes, he took common Jewish teaching when he began each Beatitude. And he would start the teaching, and then he would put his twist on it, on each one of them. So the Jews listening to Jesus would go, oh, I know what you're saying. Oh, wait a minute. Hold it, hold it, hold it. That's not how you apply that. And he did it over and over and over. And Jesus constantly did that. He would take something familiar, and then he'd flip it upside down with the kingdom ethic. You've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. So when he says, you've heard it said, they're going, yeah, I've heard that said. No, no, I haven't heard the, but you say say part. What are you doing, Jesus? And Peter's doing exactly the same thing here uh, when it comes to the relationships between husbands and wives. So historically, all instruction that would ever go to a slave, a wife, or children would have to come from the husband. No one would address a slave or a wife directly. That was, especially not not another man. That would never happen. The man talks to a man who tells the rest of the family, this is how it is. 
And it's not a discussion. It's a statement. That's the history of communication uh, in the context. In in that context, religion that did not endorse that structure, that that order between men and slaves, husbands and wives, would often be strongly criticized. And so people, governments, would have been watching Christianity, watching the new fledgling church to see if it would endorse structures in society or if if it would actually try to undo them. And yet Peter says, I want your homes, your relationships to be a sign of the kingdom of God. This is what he wanted them to do. This is how he wanted them to live. And that's why he starts speaking into lives. And when he says, wives, submit to your husbands. When he says that, he's actually being very wise. What he's saying is, follow the social structure But at the same time, he's actually addressing wives directly. So by speaking to wives directly, he is actually speaking into the social structure relationally. So he's saying formally, be subject to your husbands. Informally, he's saying, wives, I'm recognizing you as a person because Jesus recognizes you as a person. And so people listening would go, wait a minute, what? Okay, you're endorsing that, but you're speaking to my wife. What are you doing, Peter? What are you doing, Peter? And he keeps doing that. See, but he wants them to understand, as he says, uh, he wants them to understand that this is under the reverence, the fear of God. As Christ followers, we worship a crucified king who willingly went to the cross on our behalf. He defeated sin and death, not by rebellion, not by calling down the armies of heaven, which he could have, but by submitting himself to the will of the Father and then the actions of the people which led him to the cross, which defeated death, paying the price for us, rose from the dead so we can have new life, sent the spirit who indwells us so we can live as kingdom people. Right, that's what he does. That's what he does. The greatest subversive thing we can do as Christ followers is to worship a risen king who is king of kings and lord of lords and say our supremacy, our ultimate ruler, we want to be good citizens, but our ultimate allegiance is to the king of kings. And that's what Christ followers have done for centuries regardless of the government. We follow the king of kings and that's what he's telling people to do here in the first century and he's speaking it directly into the relationships between husbands and wives. You see, our relationship with Jesus causes us to see relationships God's way. Our relationship with Jesus causes us to see relationships God's way. So, 1 Peter 3.1, the rest of the passage. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, these are non-believing, non-Christian husbands, may they be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So Peter's speaking to wives about their unbelieving husbands. He's saying be subject to them, follow their, honor them in what they're saying. Honor them in their leadership of the home. And you'll notice Peter never says to the wife uh, anything about where they should worship. He doesn't say go to worship. He doesn't say stay home from worship. He doesn't even touch the topic. Why does he not touch the topic? 
Because in that day, it was assumed that the husband set the religious tone for the whole family. So if the husband says you're a Christian, you're all Christian. If the husband says you're something else, you're something else. Even today, when we hear in different parts of the world, we'll hear a whole family came to Christ. In the West, we think with our autonomous thinking, we think, oh, every individual in, the per- in that family made a decision to follow Jesus by themselves, depending on the culture. It might be the husband came home and said, hey, we're Christian now. What's that? What's Christian? Well, you're it. Don't worry about it. Because that's how some cultures still operate. That's this context. So that's why Peter doesn't say, go to worship, don't go to worship. He says, you can figure that out, really, by not addressing it. Respect your husband, speaking directly to the wife. Let your very life, your very behavior reflect the reality of Jesus, the reality of God in your life, so that you will win your husband over, your unbelieving husband over, without uttering a single word, actually, by your very behavior. And so Peter, by directly, by addressing wives directly, he actually is assuming that they have moral responsibility and choice, which they never had in their society. That's what he's conferring upon them. Like Peter is being really sneaky here. That's what he's conferring upon them by addressing, addressing them directly. That's what he did with slaves as well. He's speaking into their lives. But he's saying again, your ultimate motivation, your ultimate authority is your relationship with and trust in God, not the state, not the social rules. And he's saying there is victory in Christ through submission to God the Father, just as Jesus lived in victory through submission to the Father. You know, our society is so built on winning, and I think it's gotten worse. All the battles, all the conversations we're hearing in our culture People say, oh, we want to be more diverse. Here's what I think the common definition of diverse is. You need to think like I do. Like that's the functional definition of, because if you don't, I will shame you. I will publicly humiliate you. I will call you something that begins with an ism or an ist. I will label you and you will now be marginalized and I will beat you into submission verbally. That's the Canadian definition of diversity right now. Of course, I mean, you, you hear that and you go, well, that's not diversity at all. Exactly. But that's what's happening. It's everything about winning. And Jesus says, through Paul, or through Peter, he's saying, no, no, don't worry about your words, worry about your lives. Worry about the billboard that your life is. Worry about how you are showing yourself. You know, Pastor Ray talked about Trinity Western last week and the Supreme Court case uh, is coming up here very shortly and I got a new email from them this week. And... Um, I love how Trinity and Bob Kuhn, the president, have carried themselves. Here's the prayer request for this week. Pray against any hostility in the days approaching and the days of the hearings towards those in favor and against Trinity Western's position. Okay, you pray for everybody. Pray for our team that they diligently coordinate the logistics in Ottawa uh, and speak to media properly. Uh, Give thanks for the support we've received from various sources to back up our position in the public sphere. Uh, and the, the supporters for the Pray for Freedom, freedom movement uh, have doubled in the last two months. This is for freedom of religion, of all religion. 
And then he says, come to the Lord in fasting, submitting your lives into his hands. He is our nourishment and our sustenance, and we can do nothing without him, whether it be opening a law school or becoming a nation in which we're able to practice our religion freely. And then there's a great testimony of a Muslim gal who's a Trinity Western student who came to Bob uh, recently and said, I want you to know how well I have been treated as a student on this campus, which is what a Christian community should do, honor everyone regardless of what they believe. Peter says, I want you to do this by how you live. In other words, he says to us, what are we advertising? I think that's the question he asks us. What are we advertising? So he takes that further in uh, verses three and four. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Peter's reminding the wives that the inner beauty is much more important than the adornment. Why is he doing this? Is he simply against fashion? Is he cheap? Why is Peter doing this? Context. In that time in history, in the Greco-Roman world, for women to get dressed up and really done up was incredibly normal and incredibly popular major jewelry, and for some reason they really love to do their hair, and they would even do things like put gold plates somehow into their hair, as I read about it. The woman's biggest issue was how do I sleep and not mess up my hair? (laughs) I'm serious. There's Greek writers who are complaining about their wives and their preoccupation uh, with getting dressed up, and particularly their preoccupation with their hair. It was a very important billboard in their society. The other piece that if a woman left the home and she's dressed up and she's not with her husband, the assumption is she's out there to seduce a guy. So if a Christian woman is leaving the home, say, to go to worship, her husband is not with her, which already is incredibly countercultural because usually you only worship where the husband tells you to worship. Uh, So if she is out walking about going to Uh, worship somewhere and she's all dressed up, everyone's thinking, oh, she's looking for a guy. She's stepping out on her husband. So Peter isn't just a prude. He doesn't just like gray. He's not against fashion. He's not about church rules. What he's saying is, you're a billboard and your inner beauty is what counts and it's not a cliche, it's the reality of how Christ sees you. But we're always communicating. So my son, Matt, my youngest son, when he's in junior high, one day he says, Dad, could you dress a little more cool? (laughs) And I said, "Uh, tell you what, son, I'm going to dress just like you and then I'm coming to hang out at school. (laughs) You can see his wheels are turning. He's a quick study. He goes, you know what, Dad? I really like the way you dress. (laughs) I said, that's what I thought. He figured out he wanted dad to look like dad, not a junior high student. A couple years later, uh, he's in grade 10, we're at a volleyball tournament, and uh, going to get some food in between games, gets in the car, and he says, I forget his friend's name, I'll call him Billy. He says, I feel so bad for Billy. I said, why? I said, you see the t-shirt his dad is wearing? His dad's 40-something, fit, uh, divorced, Uh, trendy. His t-shirt says, I, and then there's a big heart, hot moms. 
My 14, 15-year-old son is embarrassed for his friend because of the billboard on his, on his friend's father's chest. My son gets it as a 15-year-old. We're always communicating something. We can't, there is no place of neutral communication for all of us. What we say, how we, whatever we do, how we dress, whatever it might be. Peter is saying, I want you to understand how you communicate. Then he also says, I want to give you a mentor. I want to give you a mentor to help you in how to think about this, women. Uh, God has given us great members, mentors to guide us in life, by the way. Whether you're a man or a woman, scripture is full of great mentors. You don't have to make the mistakes, same mistakes they made. You can list, learn from their lives so that you can walk with Christ. Scripture is full of them. For Peter raises up Sarah to, to be a mentor uh, for the wives in the Greco-Roman world. And he says, uh, in verse 5 and 6, he says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, and if you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Okay, before there's pokes in the ribs about what you want to be called this afternoon, guys, let me translate for you. And I'll use Eugene Peterson because I think he does it very simply. Cultivate your inner beauty. The gentle, gracious kind that God delights in. The holy women of old were beautiful before God that way and were good, loyal wives to their husbands. Sarah, for instance, taking care of Abraham would address him as my dear husband. You'll be true daughters of Sarah if you do the same, unanimous and unintimidated. So Sarah was seen as a virtuous woman, almost the first lady of the covenant people, of the Jews, as God created a covenant people. And he says, look to the first lady how she honored her husband, and they don't know how to translate Lord uh, into current English. You can look it up, and there's all kinds of guesses, and so Eugene uh, translates it as my dear husband. It's a term of respect. That's what we know. And he's saying, look at how Sarah lived as the first lady. Don't look to Greek philosophers. Look to Sarah. Recalibrate um, your thinking into biblical thinking, into kingdom thinking is what Peter is saying from these great models. Did Sarah's husband do some dumb things? If you read the story, absolutely. There's, some, there's several times when you look at Abraham and go, what were you thinking? And Sarah honored him. And God obviously used Abraham in, pro, in powerful ways. But that's the example. He says, here's a mentor for you. Here's a mentor for you. Author Karen Jobes uh, has a great commentary on 1 Peter. And she writes, the Christian women of Asia Minor are daughters of Sarah if they do what is right and not give way to the kind of fear that results in hatred and hostility. Therefore, Christian women married to unbelieving men are not to despise and reject their husbands, making the household climate one of hostility, but to subject themselves even to unjust treatment because of their faith in Christ and in doing so accomplish God's better way. Job's is not saying, in saying unjust treatment, she is not saying anything that relates to domestic violence or abuse in any way. In fact, the Greco-Roman world was against domestic violence. What she's saying is, relationally, she knows there's tension when there's people of two different faiths. Relationally, she knows there can be tension when you have this relationship that does not see people before God as equals. And Peter's saying, live in such a way, not by your words, but by your very actions, that you point them to Christ. Now, what does he say to men? To men, he again begins with likewise. Likewise what? 1 Peter 2, 17. Honor everyone because you fear God. 
Honor everyone because you fear God, because you revere God, because God is supreme in your life. And in this case, he is talking to Christ-following men. Honor everyone because of the supremacy of God. So he says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be, not be hindered. Given our cultural sensitivities today, we're always looking for statements of equality between the sexes. Currently, I don't think there's a worse uh, demographic to be uh, than me in Canadian society. Middle-aged, white, male. Right? Everything's our fault. Unfortunately, lately, the middle-aged white male or older males in uh, like Hollywood are giving us a really bad name, and rightly so. They should be held to account for that behavior. Completely wrong. But what Peter is calling us to is not stereotypes. He's calling us to follow God. And because of that, because we revere God and honor everyone, we are to step up and be men of God in our, in our world and in our families. First of all, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. What does weaker vessel means? After a lot of study, it means weaker vessel. It's talking about physical, weaker vessel. Most women are, weak, are physically weaker than men. That's the reality. And Peter is saying, I want you to be a place and a person of protection for women for everyone actually in society and that's what men should be doing. Emotionally, spiritually, physically. Like one of the things God's called us to is to create safe places in all those ways. That's our responsibility in the home and in society at large and that's what makes what's happening in Hollywood all the worse. It's, we know it's an abuse of power but it's also an abuse of the role of a male and an incredibly poor model. Finally, he gives men a warning. Or first of all, he says, uh, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. We are co-heirs in Christ. When you are a co-heir, there is no hierarchy. So you take this culture, this first century, which says men are here, women and slaves are here. And here Peter says, before Christ, this is what you are. This is what you are. That message in this context is unbelievable is countercultural. It's the upside-down kingdom of God in the most profound way. In the most profound way. Because you come before God the same way. Your access to the throne room is the same. The Father welcomes you the same. Salvation is the same. God's grace and gifts are the same for you, whether you're a man or a woman. And I believe the Lord has called men to be spiritual leaders in the home and in society But this is speaking into co-heirs in Christ. And then he says to men this ominous warning at the end where he says, do this so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, you have the say in the relationship in this first century world. And because you do, you will be held to account for it. And if you dishonor your relationships, then there is something between you and God and your prayers will be blocked because you dishonor other people. That's what Peter is talking about here. And that's what he's inviting the men to 
and the women too, as co-heirs in Christ. This passage is incredibly liberating for the people of God. And as they are the billboards of God, advertising the kingdom of God, he says all of society changes because that happens when people come to know Christ. There are billboards for the kingdom of God and the great news of Jesus Christ actually moves like a virus through all of society, not through legislation, but through the preaching of our very lives through the power and the presence of Christ in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. That's the invitation in 1 Peter. Let's stand as we pray. And I want to pray particularly for those of you who are in difficult relationships. For those of you to whom this message of saying, man, you're asking me to submit to Christ or submit to my spouse and because I revere God and I got to trust God to walk through this difficult thing, it's tense, it's difficult, Maybe it's even scary. The word here was, do not walk in fear because you trust God. And yet we need wisdom for that. We need the Spirit's guidance in that. Perhaps some of you hear this today, have never decided to give your life to Jesus. I want to give you a chance to do that as well. To, to make him your leader and your forgiver and your friend. So for those of you, you can pray with me and then I'm going to pray for you. Father, I confess I've never given my life to you. I give it to you today. I want that upside down kingdom to be my kingdom. Thank you for making it possible for me to enter that through Jesus. Forgive my sin. Come and fill me with your spirit and make me your own. And I give myself to you and follow you. And Jesus, I pray for those this morning who are in difficult relationships. You give us this picture of this upside down kingdom And I think we struggle to understand how difficult the context was in that first century. And yet you obviously believed it to be true because that you, your spirit, would speak into these situations because you called, in this case, wives to be subject to their husbands and to be the billboard of the kingdom of God through their very lives and to empower them with your spirit to do so. You call husbands to to honor everyone and to give grace and to bring grace and honor to their wives. Father, that means you empower us to do that. So I pray for every situation that is difficult. I pray for you to speak wisdom, to speak forgiveness into places that need forgiveness. I pray for healing into marriages that are struggling. And I pray for the unbelieving partner to come to know you and give their lives to you. Father, be with us as we go into this week in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.